Hi, welcome to yet another episode of Hippo Brain. Here is where we have hippo-sized conversations with people with hippo-sized brains. Rajesh, you can introduce our next guest. Hi, everyone. Joining us today is Ashwini Shokan, the co-founder and CEO of Mad Street Den. Uh, amazing AI stuff. We'll come to that later. So, Ashwini, welcome to Hippo Brain. Thanks, Ajish. Thanks, Amit. Thanks for having me. So, Ashwini, uh, we'll start with your journey. Chennai, then CMU, and then California, and then back to Chennai. Mm -hmm. so, um, tell us what you were doing in California, or you can take us, walk us through the journey. I mean, California, you worked at Intel. Uh, I mean, yeah. great, uh, uh, very different type of work, working with anthropologists, understanding how mobile technology gets used and so on. Um, so just walk us through your journey. Sure. So I'll start with Chennai and I'll do a round trip. Uh, <laughs> because uh, I think uh, very proudly say that the soul belongs to Madras. Um, uh, and, and so that's a, you know, I'll do a little round trip story there. Um, I was a dancer and a musician. Um, and I was a professional dancer and musician. And I always knew that that's who I was going to be. That was going to be my career. Um, I used to teach. Um, I used to perform across the globe and, and just, uh, you know, that was what my life was going to be about. Um, everything else was secondary. And then I met a boy <laughs> and then everything changed. That is pretty much my story. <laughs> you, you, this is a very simple round trip. <laughs> this, is, this is touch and go. Okay, met a guy. Like... <laughs> Ashwini, I was hoping that you say the boy met you and his life changed. That definitely, but this is not his interview, no? <laughs> this is my interview. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm sure if you interview the boy, he will have uh, the same story because, um, you know, I think that worked for us clearly in more than one way because he's obviously a uh, husband, father of my children and also happens to be the co-founder of my startup. So we kind of lucked out in more ways than one at uh, 18. So I can tell you um, that pretty much changed my trajectory, to be honest, because I was always of the opinion I was going to build a career in art. And um, I was a Madras University gold medalist. Um, my parents kept taking me on to go do stuff. And I was like, I've met a boy. <laughs> and, that's and, and then he left uh, to do his PhD in neuroscience in the US. Um, and when that happened, then I was like, fine, I'll go get a master's. <laughs> so, um, and I applied and I got into Carnegie Mellon. Um, I got rejected everywhere else because I was 20 when I applied and I was not old enough uh, to qualify for the master's program everywhere else. Finally, I ended up uh, applying again and getting through to CMU. Um, and I got into the product and a design uh, 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 a degree because uh, even while I was pursuing the arts over here, my undergrad was in visual communication, right? So always taken the, you know, everybody just to give you a little bit of a background, my brother is the director of the Gene Therapy Institute at Duke. He has his own gene therapy startups. My husband is a neuroscientist. My sister-in-law is a toxicologist. My other sister-in-law is a physicist. So I come from a family of PhDs, professors, and, you know, and, and imagine being the, the dancer in the family. <laughs> just, just always stood out, always been the odd one out who, who refused to fall into what the family wanted me to do. 
um uh, and and i think uh, i did my undergrad in uh, in visual communication then i was like fine if he's gone to the us i might as well go to the us and uh, uh, so i went to carnegie mellon uh, we were not obviously in the same cities but it didn't matter it got me to the same half of the of the planet um and so i got my degree in design and something started to happen after i went to cmu which is my i mean i started growing a lot of interests in learning right learning on a campus like cmu is just mind blowing right very curious i got a lot of time to spend in the robotics institute i got a lot of time to spend with like the hci folks uh, really soak up on the ai um, history and and robotics history that cmu really comes from and that's really where a lot of my interest started peaking right um around then we graduated almost all of our my peers ended up you know taking a design degree design roles in you know your twitter um google like classic right almost all of them this was like startup land that time happening in california and so almost all of them kind of went down that path something really interesting happened to me because um i had a website with all my portfolio up there and all my work up there and um somebody uh, some relative of mine who uh, was also working at intel at that point came and told me you know there's this person who is a cultural anthropologist she's coming in building an interdisciplinary team of people from all kinds of backgrounds to really come and help intel really think differently about how to build platforms of the future right and uh, this is early 2000s and uh, i saw that i spoke to her she saw my portfolio and placed an offer right away um all of my peers were so confused they were like you are going to intel they were like what connection does the work that we have anything to do with intel right um i got multiple job offers all of them easily 30 40% more pay than intel um and my parents of course uh, my i mean my parents have been huge sources of uh, support and just uh, you know i've always been a little bit of a, a set of trailblazers when it comes to knowing about what's going on in the industry and what kind of what is the latest greatest uh, you know kind of skill set or um, you know thing going on in the industry and they were really bummed to see you know me going off like to an extreme they're saying you know you're going to intel to work with an anthropologist and to work with hci people and ai people and it sounds like a commune of sorts you guys sound like you're just going to get in there together and just think of uh, you know uh, and and to date it was probably the best it changed my life it absolutely changed my life that was broadly i can say the second big uh, thing that happened in my life um, after anand that completely changed the way that i think about life um here under uh, you know the 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 umbrella of a company that's largely building hardware and silicon you had this anthropologist who was coming in and telling everybody here that you know hey in order for you to move and become a platform company you really have to think about who's at play in the platform because the the, the ecosystem is different right it's not the same silicon ecosystem the players are different the oems are different like you have to start fundamentally rethinking what it means to kind of you know go out there and build entire platforms and win at that right and uh, most people don't know this but intel was literally the first company to put out the smart tvs and the internet tvs of the world all the first yahoo tvs google tvs all came from from intel right this was all part of the team of people 100 plus people i and i was part of these teams building up the smart tv smart tablet uh smart phone and part of the teams that were really working super cross disciplinary right and think of it as i i've gone and spent time in the middle of people's homes in kansas city in uh, copenhagen in japan in all kinds of places where you know to go really live and understand what it means for people to really and this is a very transitional phase the mobile phone hadn't happened yet right so this is all just before all the iphone madness and and all of that had kind of really um uh 
played out. And so it was a very transitional period in the early 2000s till 2010, uh, I think, to really catch up on what was happening with the iPhone, what was happening with the iPad. And, and the way people interacted with technology had fundamentally changed. And this was that period of change. And I got like front row seat, right, to go out there and really study how people were actually uh, using these things and what the future was going to look like, coming back and designing those products and working with, with you know, um, people from all kinds of fields to kind of on the technology side, on the product side, on the business side, unbelievable exposure. And to date, I'll tell you, like Intel is probably any young person, you know, Intel is not the kind of company that first comes to mind. I think there are so many more companies out there that people think are very cool to work at, but a place like Intel completely helped rewire the way I think about the future, right? And I recently wrote an article where I said, you know, career is not a straight line. It's hardly a straight line. It's not a ladder. It, none of those analogies have really worked for me. And if I look back over the last, what, 19 years now of me, uh, you know, in some career or not, I would say, um, you know, I define my career as a parkour on rooftops, right? Because that's what it is. You have no idea what's coming. And, and you've got to be willing to jump and you've got to be willing to explore and go to new places and you've got to be willing to take some serious risks. And, and, that's, and, and I think what can come off of a journey like that is uh, just, just, there's no way to measure that, right? And I can tell you that today, if I have this company, if I got all these ideas to start this company along with Anand, it absolutely stems from that experience. Um, and then, of course, by the end of it, uh, Anand had his own kind of trajectory. Anand was a... PhD in neuroscience uh, in Baylor College. And then he went on to do his postdoc at Stanford where he was building silicon chips that emulate the brain in a, in a lab called Brains in Silicon Lab. And he was working with DARPA. He was working on you know, cat brains and all kinds of very hardware focused neural um, um, you know, architectures. And then he was always thinking about moving to software. So we, had, we would discuss our careers constantly, all the time. And we were working ourselves together to a point where our careers would merge. And we'd been working at it easily for 10, 12 years. And, uh, you know, in 2012, um, I remember being uh, on a vacation uh, at my brother's house in North Carolina uh, in December. And uh, four, day four days later, we flew back to California with our three-year-old and uh, woke up on the morning of 2nd January 2013 and said, let's just go home. And uh, so we booked our tickets on second night. On third morning, we called the movers. We put the house, uh, you know, in a ship, sold all our baby things, all the stuff, got a friend to come and rent our house in California and uh, moved, to, moved back home the next day. My God. <laughs> that, that was a very fast in startup language, should I say pivot? <laughs> right. I mean, we are the kind of people, we are very impulsive, I can tell you that much. We, we, we follow the heart like crazy. Um, and we don't, we don't worry about taking big risks um, as long as, you know, you have a good set of people around you who hold your hand. I, I think you can confidently, safely, you know, I wouldn't say safely, but you can confidently make those jumps. And we've been very thankful to be able to have these opportunities. So when you, when you decided 2nd Jan 2013 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you said you wanted to move to India, was that like... I come back to India and then I figure or I figure there is something or you and me against the world, we'll figure it. <laughs> what is it? What was that thought process and how did you go about and some little bit of this magic then? 
I think it was it was definitely a combination of that, right? Like our conversations, my life at Intel, his life of neuroscience, his life of uh, at Stanford, we spent easily eight to ten years discussing what we wanted to build. So we we had a good eight years to think about exactly what our goal was, what our mission was, where we needed to be, and what we wanted to do. And I think we were very clear that one from Anand's perspective, he was extremely unhappy about the way AI or architecture, specifically on the architecture side, um, how intelligent systems were being built, right? Uh, and he had very different set of thoughts on that. Um, and he and our third co-founder, you know, also had their own kind of thinking and approaches to how to solve this. For me, it was very simple. For me, it was, AI still felt like a technology looking for a problem to solve. Uh, I still think that is broadly true today. If you look beyond a handful of use cases like, uh, you know, your self-driving cars, which is where all your money is going right now, or face recognition systems. <laughs> Excuse me. I still think that, you know, we've, we've not even started thinking about applications surrounding AI and most people don't even get it. And so for me, the inspiration was fairly, very, very clear in that, you know, my mission was to make AI um, accessible to everybody. Um, and to help build a world of people who I call AI natives, right? So, and that, that future is coming. Everybody's got to figure out how to be an AI native. And that means how to participate in building AI, how to participate in creating AI, as well as consuming AI, right? And I think this is very important because AI more than anything else is all about who's in power and who has, who can do what with the AI. And if the power and the ability to create AI is only in the hands of a few people, then you're only going to see certain kinds of use cases and you're only going to see AI being used by some a small group of people. And that to me is, is, is the exact opposite of where I come from, right? So Anand and I spent a lot of time talking about, well, at the end of the day, Matt Street Den's mission is to build um, a world of people who are AI natives. And these people will be sitting across different companies, different industries, uh, different types of jobs and it's important we find a way to build the kind of company that will make all of these people a part of that right and uh, and, and we, we came up with a broad set of ideas about how we wanted to go about it we wanted our own proprietary IPN platform uh, and then on top of that we decided we'd build a vertical and then we decided you know well uh, now that the vertical is fairly uh, doing well and growing we're slowly starting to kind of grow the potential of the platform itself Right? and say, you know, it's not just about one vertical, we can actually open it up to much. So this is easily a 20 year roadmap for us, minimum, right? Minimum 20 year roadmap. And I would say we're broadly at year five, uh, roughly, uh, of that 20 year plan. Um, and I know, I, and I have, like I said, for me, I know we'd have reached our goal if uh, we have MSD's platforms and uh, being used by anybody, whether they know AI or not, people who can use these platforms to do things, right? To create stuff. Um, that is a goal for me. And I know for Anand, he has very specific goals, right? He wants to get into prosthetics. He wants to get into artificial limbs. And uh, so the two of us will, I think at some point in the next 20 to 30 years, slowly kind of, you know, get, start hitting each of our goals one little bit at a time. So. Ashwini, if you, we dig a little deeper into uh, the idea of an AI native, the first time I'm hearing that phrase. So can you explain this? You know, what do you mean by AI native? Sure, sure. Um, I think a future 30 years from now, 50 years from now, where we're going to, we are going to be living with AI, 
right? Um, and you know, for anybody that's seen any kind of sci-fi movie, and we are going to get there. Whether we, I mean, after all, all these movie makers and storytellers and writers and fiction writers are simply penning down different versions of futures, right? So I think we are going to get there at some point. And this is not a question of you know wanting to have a dream of being a particular kind of a race, right, or a species. That's not what this is about. But this is inevitable. We are going to get there. And it's it's a question of 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now. And uh, as someone who has two children, uh, I'm constantly thinking about the world they're going to live in uh, and their children are going to live in and what we're going to be leaving, you know, uh, the planet with. And I think it's inevitable. We are going to be living with AI, which means we're literally creating another species that we're going to be living with at some point, right? And the question is, who do we become in that place, right? What role do we have to play in a future where we're living with AI? And this is why it's important for us to become AI natives because clearly the, 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 there will be a future where, you know, these things are going to start working a lot better and, and, and living life in, I don't know, in very different ways and probably what, I, and I hate to use the word productivity because I don't think it's the only metric of measurement of who a human is or what a human is worth. But at the end of the day, when your robots start performing and being 10x better humans, 100x better humans, 1000x better humans, then they, you know, the, the question does have come about, right? And people are asking all those questions today. Will AI take away my job? Will AI? And this is why it's important for us to become AI natives because today we're at that point where we are creating AI. And the way I look at it, every time I see a paper or somebody from the Valley publishing something about a, you know, a new network, which is allowing you to face swap and pull out these deep fakes. And then now you can fake every celebrity doing everything. I just simply go back to saying, this is what technology looking for a problem to solve looks like. Someone has something in their hand and is fiddling around with it and has no business doing that without understanding the repercussions of what they're doing. Right. And um, I think that much of AI being built today is extremely irresponsible. Um, and I don't think it should be in the hands of the people that are actually building these things today. And that's my strong, you know. And so the reason we need more people being AI natives is because we need more, more and more and more people creating this other species, if I may, for a lack of a better way to put it, who are going to be amongst us. And why should the power of creating this other species be in the hands of a handful of people? Why should it be in the hands of a handful today? And that percentage of people is is literally, it's all coming from like one tiny, tiny, tiny group of people. And to me, to be able to have this large team in Chennai and, and Bangalore and, and I don't know, in Japan and, and all these other places across the country, across the globe, who are participating, to me, building this company alone is very fulfilling. It's the first step, right? But you have to start somewhere and then there has to be a multiplicate, there has to be that exponential effect that has to happen across the globe. Right. And so this is why it's very important to be an AI native. You need to be a part of the creation of the AI. You need to be a part of the consumption. You need to be part of policy. You need to be part of, it's almost like creating a new economy, creating a new country. This is about citizenship, right? It's about who gets access to AI and who is part of that, that community and who's not. And uh, I think if we are already playing a pretty big role with our politics in creating second and third class citizens and fourth class citizens, so on and so forth. I think it's only going to get worse. It's, it's literally like putting AI in the hands of even fewer people. Now you can start to think about like, you know, everybody's a second class citizen and a third class citizen, right? So making everyone AI native, making everyone productive in meaningful ways is an absolute, um, 
I think it's of of uh, utmost importance right now. It's almost roti kapda makan and AI. It is. Which is which is which are no. I think what you're. <laughs> it's quite funny while you're uh, you're you're putting your solutions. There's so many questions in my head, and I think what you're saying is right that the the future is about. ai enhancing individuals as opposed to just being productive that's just one side of it uh it is uh, enhanced individuals doing a lot more that they are capable of and i think uh just if i were to hold you you just went a little fast on replacement of humans and we've had various conversations with different hippo brains on this and uh, uh i want to hear your view on this uh, a do you believe that there is going to be some amount of replacement and uh is this is this how uh, how does the rest of the country use the ai so they have not use it to fight this replacement is there some thoughts on you, uh, on your side on this i do i do and i do think we're going to see quite a bit of a job loss there is no doubt i'm not uh, but that happens every time some new piece of technology is created right so if you sit go back and look at the history of technology right every time some new piece of technology has come there's been like oh my god it's going to like spoil your kids and make them go blind and people are going to die and you know this is how tvs were welcomed you know telegrams were welcomed like every piece of technology that has ever been created has come with this kind of you know um, of course with ai i think it's even more real than it has ever been because just because of how much damage can be created by something like this right so like one wrong move and you know you could lose an entire business somewhere right so it it, it is that far reaching i think in terms of consequences so there is that side of it which i do think people uh, people are scared of that that, they, that which they don't understand and so there is that part of it and then there is the part where jobs are actively being replaced there is no doubt you go into the factory floor and see and you will see go into those amazon factory floors go into any kind of manufacturing or uh, industrial facility go into cars like, like people are being replaced there is no doubt that people are being replaced but i also think there is another side of the story which is the question we should be asking is what are we doing for skilling the people that are coming up we are even talking here we are talking about insane unemployment numbers today right which means we are all living in communities we are all living in countries and communities that have that are showing zero responsibility in skilling the citizens and members of their society right and this is why in some in so many ways i think for me you know i'm one of those people that absolutely hates the patronizing and the celebrity crap that comes with like you know running a startup uh there's so much hoha around everything and and you know you're a star one day you're a you're a failure the other day it's just rubbish right but all of that said right i do think that when you look at someone like girish from freshers you look at someone like um uh Sridhar from Zoho, you look at someone like when you start looking at people like this, you realize that startups are absolutely doing what countries were supposed to do for its people. Okay, I'll go as far as saying that. Right, there are so many companies across the country and across the globe which are doing for, and it's not true for everyone, right? Obviously, there are lots of places where people are being abused and horrible things are happening. I'm not talking about all that. I am saying that whether it's helping people, because if you see, if you if you think about, if you particularly heard Girish talk about um, hiring people and training them, 
he's and same thing with zoho right these guys have figured out how to create talent and how to train talent and how to continue to bring people and these are things that our education system is not doing today right like absolutely not this is why anand and i teach our 7 6 year old and 10 year old to code today at home every weekend we sit and teach them to code we teach them gardening we teach them stuff and like i'm sure every parent lot of parents out there are doing that because our systems today are not doing what they're supposed to be doing right so the, the minute every time i look at a fresh grad fresh graduate of some kind right a fresher of some kind in most cases 99% of the skills that they taught themselves came did not come from their educational system 99% comes from self taught stuff right so my my point here with jobs is yes people are going to be unbelievably not qualified for the future that's coming up they're not and the question we should be asking ourselves is how are we going to be fixing it clearly because our countries and our communities and our and our, our existing systems are not ready for it it's interesting what you're saying uh, and uh, just uh, i'll just give you a little bit uh, one of the hyperbrain conversations we had with uh, sandeep mittal and we also spoke about the role of ai in organizations etc and what is the role of the human he very interestingly said the role of the human is to induce errors <laughs> so if if it creates errors that's that's from where the ai will continue to learn because i think it's it's at some point it's not what i heard you say it's not a there is amount of replacement happening but as a broader populace if you're able to take it on yeah. what you're trying to do is democratize it right. allow more people to take it right. the, the kind of human that we are envisaging completely changes so as opposed to no human there is going to be job loss but instead of saying no human you're talking about augmented humans yeah yeah augmented humans and augmented ai also it works both ways the way i see it and this is why i think it's really important for us to talk about a space where both coexist because we if you are going to have an entirely different race that is inhabiting your space your home your country your what happens at that point right so it's important and and you don't need and i i mean i have a lot like yesterday or day before i did another session where people were like how do i start my career in ai and my answer has always been the same you have to start with a domain there is no ai you need to start with a domain you need to do something are you a marketer are you a product manager are you a code and engineer are you an ml person you need to have some skill set you need to have and it's interesting because this is a question that i get all the time and it's like no you can't be in ai ai is about data and what you do with data to do something with it ai is not a thing AI, you if you don't if you don't have a skill set and you don't have domain knowledge there is no way you can learn anything about ai right so the question comes back to and today we work for example i'll give you one example right we work with stylists and merchandisers on one hand on the other hand we work with um ceos and ctos in the healthcare side right i'll just give you a couple of these examples what can the stylist do right you're giving her an you're giving this person an ai tool and so traditionally you've only done personalized styling in store for your high end customer clientele right how is that going to scale now like wh- who's coming to your store to wear like you know million dollar dresses like no one right so everybody's buying online what are you going to do and so all of a sudden it's about okay so you need ai tools you don't need to build ai yourself but if you're using ai tools to service like hundreds of people as opposed to the one person you were doing in the store it changes the scale of things so ai can be literally a partner with you in that job right and at no point i mean and you know you could argue yeah we'd see a future where you know 
um, you won't need any people at all. Sure, that's an argument that you can make, but there will always be companies that that pay people for being people. <laughs> you bring something to the table, right? And so this is not going to, I, I don't think, uh, you know, species tend to preserve themselves, um, protect themselves. I don't think we're all going to be wiped out anytime soon. And if we are, it's probably because of the people who are holding on to the power of AI, right? So, so these are all examples. People can work with AI even today. You can become an AI native right here, right now, today, right? And the question you are, but you need some domain knowledge. You need to know who you are. There is no AI. AI is not this thing that you go learn. So, Ashwini, uh, fascinating, I think, overview of AI. It's probably one of the best sort of introductions which I have heard from the future on how the AI world looks like. I think fascinating. I want to take you back to how you started building Mad Street then. So you came back to Chennai. Your round trip is complete. <laughs> My round trip is complete. <laughs> and, then, and then you have the two sort of AIs in your life. You have Anand and Intel as your one set of AIs. Uh, background, Intel background, Anand with you, and then you have this AI world, which is, you can see it. Yeah. Then what do you do after you come back to Chennai? How do you, how does one build a global B2B SaaS company in one of the most cutting edge domains out of India, out of Chennai? Yeah, you know, people mocked me like crazy when I came back and the move was not easy, let me tell you that, because we had, neither of us had lived our adult life in India, right? We left fairly young and we came back with one child and uh, who did not adjust to the move back at all. Uh, she was a mess. We were a mess. It took us easily two years to kind of find our feet again, right? And people kept telling us, go back. Uh, this is not where you build AI. Like nobody gets it. Just you don't understand it. Like it's not going to work, right? Uh, interesting thing is, uh, you know, some of the folks from Sequoia, Sequoia Capital found us even before we had registered the company. We had not even registered the company and they'd already found us and they came and met us. And a lot of the folks in that org have been, um, I would say like co-founders for us right? They were not investors. They were none of that. They were just people that have been with us from day zero, right? And they kept telling us, no, it's okay. It's okay. You'll take time, like settle down with your family, figure it out. You know, there's no hurry, right? And uh, of course, and so we officially started in 2014, but I ended up having my second child in 2014. So all of a sudden we found ourselves across the globe in a new country, in a new home, with a new child, with a new startup, building AI out of Chennai. So broadly, this is how it works for us. The top three, four stressful things you can do in your life. We did it on the same year, at the same time, in one go. You know, this, this pretty much summarizes who Anand and I are. Um, and uh, it was not easy at all. And in 2014, we were like, we're building a computer vision and our own, you know, a proprietary neural architecture. We're going to launch this platform. And people were like, it's 2014. We don't even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, right? It's so funny because I have videos. I still can't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, Ashwini. <laughs> and I remember people looking at Anand going like, so you're building a science lab. And Anand's like, no, we're not building a science lab. And it was very hard because the whole reason why the two of us got out of the valley, a big portion of that one, of course, was we wanted to come home and do this from home. But also the second part of it for us was, we were really looking at everything in a science lab environment and the two of us had had enough of that, right? And we were like, this makes no sense. You're essentially building lab, like these are like lab rats. Like that's not what we need to be doing. We should be building AI in the real world with people. And this is where kind of my own background from Intel, his life, all of it was coming together, right? So in 2015, I think uh, uh, Xfinity and GrowX were other, uh, you know, venture capital. And you will find the VC guys, I'm one of those people that is, uh, you know, there have been a lot of people who have kind of been by our side through this journey. Um, people who, 
and in, it, it think about in 2015 like a vc listening to your story we never had any idea of pitching or raising money let me be very clear right we had no ideas we were still like oh my god we have a newborn at home and a new company like what the hell are we doing right and imagine for a vc or of any kind to come in and take that kind of you know look at you and go yeah we're going to bet on this right and uh, it was insane and we said okay let's start building and in 2015 you know we started like going full in right in terms of building the technology and the underlying our first initial experiments were in emotion recognition and all kinds of spaces with first 18 months of lots of prototypes to really test out this this initial early platform we were building and then in 2016 it became very clear you can't have a platform in a space which is not even a space to begin with right so we'll build a business we'll build first the use case and then the platform will happen eventually right and sequoia played a huge role in shaping like you know very specific people at sequoia played a huge role in kind of shaping this helping with us coming along this journey with us and we and that's when i said you know what okay i'm going to double down on retail and in 2016 we launched bureau.ai as the first retail vertical that that is almost like a customer of our platform for a for a lack of a better way to put it right and uh, you know uh, very soon we uh, our first customer was in the us um and um, you know we still didn't have a us team uh, it was just anand and i with a with a bunch of folks here in chennai and uh, uh we got the first customer and then we got a bunch of people there we hired people we grew the teams three years in we start we were having like 3x 2x kind of your growth um from a revenue perspective and for us for, for me i can tell you that the focus through the entire process was simply help people understand what the hell ai is and what it can do for them and that that was our sales process right we built out a series of products but we had no idea and so we started working with customers to get more and more and more and more domain knowledge about retail and identify new use cases so every time we'd give them a product 3 months later we'd have discovered 10 new use cases so the product roadmap kept growing kept growing kept growing and we had you know and and our strategy was really clear right off the bat which is we still have to be ai is it's still the people who are open to it are literally 0.0000 something percent of the top of that pyramid right and we said okay let's start there right because these are people who will be more open they are technologically savvy and so we literally went after the number one and number two in us in in europe in south america india japan and you know there's a saying in tamil that a young calf really does not know fear right well let me tell you neither of us were young when we started this company we were tired we were not young <laughs> i'll tell you that much when we started this uh and and i think we just went because we didn't know anything else we knew nothing about building a company we knew nothing about you know and we were just we would call people in left right and center in europe and italy and us and you know and introduce ourselves start talking and sell the product and then you know next thing you know one month later you have a half a million dollar deal right and we we just didn't know better right and that was broadly how we kind of helped grew um, you know the first 3 years of you um and in the process i guess we are right roughly around the 3 and a half years marching towards 4 now and uh, we are a 200 plus 220 plus uh, team right now uh, across uh, chennai san francisco new york japan middle east europe bangalore um and you know uh, i think what holds the team together and what holds what enables this growth that we have and i am one of those people that believes in not growth at all costs um it has to be sustainable growth it has to be meaningful growth um there has to be a why this is a marathon anand loves to keep telling me when i lose my shit 
Um, he will routinely show up and say, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it is a lonely journey as a CEO because, uh, you know, Anand just wants, every chance he gets, he wants to be bubble wrapped in, in front of his computer coding with his like, you know, team, right? So there is this, uh, there's a lot of pull and push that happens because I have to keep pulling him and, and pulling him and saying, no, your technology, remember you did this because you wanted to make it meaningfully accessible to people, which means you need to put yourself out there. You need to put your engineers and your ML guys out there in front of the customers, right? That is where value is being created. And so, and for me, it's the other end of that, right? For, for, for him, I would almost say he's, he's a bit of a Zen kind of a character. He does not get very perturbed. Then and, uh, you know, he's on his own as long, but, but then he's very focused, right? He's a guy, he's a specialist. He's not, uh, he doesn't care about all the other problems. He'd be like, don't tell me about all that other stuff, right? But for, for me, it's been a pulling the side and for him, it's been pulling me the other side and constantly kind of finding that space in the middle and, and almost this, um, because I can tell you that the number one, number one thing I'd say of all the things we've done, it's not been an easy ride at all, at all. Um, but but being able to have the right people around you as you go through this process um, is what this is about. That's it. it. That's really what it is about, right? And whether it's on the investor side, on the customer side, you know, I can't tell you the number of customers we have who write these long emails of and love letters to our, uh, you know, customer success team and they'll be like, hey, you know, I can't, and, and, and then the customers, it, it makes it worth it, right? So whether it's the team, whether it's the customer or whether it's the investor, this journey is too hard. And I can tell you as somebody who has raised two children, they are now six and 10, while building this company, that raising my children was nothing compared to building this company. And you will, people will never say that. People always say the other way around, right? And things are not as hard as raising children. Raising my two kids was a breeze when I compare it to building this company, right? So I, I, you know, I definitely believe that it's the people that make it, at the end of the day, you make it or break it because of the people. It's amazing, I think, what you've accomplished, uh, Ashwini. If we dig a little deep, you know, you see, you talked about AI and retail uh, in the beginning as the first sort of vertical that you looked at. Give us a sense of how, I mean, to lay people, how does AI help in retail? Sure. What difference does it make? Sure. So if you think about retail traditionally, um, everything has been offline, okay? And everything has been manual. Now, as we keep moving into the future, um, all, there is no business that can exist without being a data focused business. This, this future does not exist, right? Where you can be a business without data, access to data, use of data, data driven decision making. These companies cannot exist. They might be there right now, they will not exist. Like it's only a question of when, it's not a question of if, right? Um, it's the same thing with retail. Right. And retail is one of the most legacy industries. I still remember sitting in one of those, I won't, I won't name names. Uh, when one of the top VCs in the Valley looked at me and said anything, they were like AI in anything but retail. He was like, pick anything. He was like, it's bad enough. You moved out of the Valley. It's bad enough. You want to do this in Chennai. It's bad enough. Like he was like, pick anything but retail. And I was like, I want retail. Like that's where I'm going to start. Right. It is the most legacy industry. Like people have not moved for generations. You're talking families, you're talking family groups, you're talking, it's, it's been very slow to adopt change, especially when compared to FinTech, when compared to so many of these other verticals, retail, and that is what excited me more than anything else, right? Because, and I'll give you examples. So we are invested in building different, creating different types of data for the retail industry. We create product data, we create customer data, we create 
business data, operational data, whatever it is. And how do we do this? The camera is looking at something, right? It's either looking at a product or it's looking at a person's behavior and it's not the camera in that case, it's click. So regardless of what modality, some input is coming. Think of it as a brain and the brain is interacting with the business, with operations, with products and with uh, people, right? These are the things that broadly make up a company. And so how do you have a brain that's assimilating all of these uh, through different modalities, whether it's through a computer, through a camera, whether it's through language, whether it's through voice, whether it's through, uh, you know, behavior or processes or workflows, regardless of what it is, we create data, right? A simple example is we create product metadata. Companies upload their products. Our algorithms look visually at these products and automatically tag them, right? In other cases, we've got what we call latent data. You can't always capture data using text, right? Why exactly is this person liking that t-shirt versus me? I'm also wearing a polo neck t-shirt. You're also wearing a polo neck t-shirt. But why do you like that? And why do I like this? And no words can describe that, right? You're going to say pink. You're going to say blue. But these are the kind of data that's inherently available in latent space, right? Which is more over. It can't be easily described using words. It can't be easily described using a handful of tags, right? So there's a lot of work that the team does looking at the space between different types of data. And, and so there's a lot of work that happens in the space in between, right? And reading in between, for example, you know, across all this data. So we spend a lot of time creating data. Then we, and we've got applications that assimilate this data and do certain things for people, right? And an example could be, we can automate processes, right? Um, recently we were, and while the majority of our work is still in, in retail, we are very quietly getting ready to launch a series of things in the coming two to three years. And we're working with a lot of companies of different types of categories. Um, and, you know, you can, you can almost imagine automating, a, you know, little processes a doctor is doing during surgery. You can do automation of uh, work that people, like I gave you, this, these stylists that I was talking to you about. So, so there is a creation of data. There is an assimilation of that data and then applying it in specific contexts. And the outcome is twofold or threefold broadly, right? One, you want to save costs. Right. You want to make things more productive. There's an example of the stylist dressing up one person in a place versus, you know, dressing up millions of people. Right. That's an example. Two is revenue increase. Right. A lot of these companies can literally increase revenue if they simply understand what's happening with their data and apply it to the right place at the right time, you know, to get the maximum ROI. Right. So there's a lot of revenue growth that we drive through our applications. And then the last one is um, uh, everything surrounding customer experience. Right. And this is how do you retain your customers, deliver the best experience for them? How do you increase, you know, the growth and the share of wallet of these guys that they keep coming back to you and your, uh, your, how do you help mine their customer support queries? Right. You know, and make sure that you're serving them at the right time with the right kind of person. So the applications and the possibilities of AI are absolutely unlimited. Right. And at view, we have now focused on a handful. And uh, the idea of the platform is we are coming full circle now on that story as well, because our platform is ready and we're getting to say, okay, you know what, at this point, people can build any application they want to. We don't want to be the people that are deciding what application gets, gets built. So, so th that's very interesting. So you, from uh, bespoke services kind of a thing, you're moving to a platform or a product in some ways. And, and that roadmap that you need I'll to... Just, I'll just jump in there and correct that. No, hmm. we were never doing bespoke services. Okay. We had a B2B SaaS product, right? And that was okay. the... So we had all these products 
and they were all classic B2B SaaS products. People could subscribe to them. And then monthly, it's just recurring, right? It's all API-based integration. So, come, but then of course, there was a lot of learning from the domain and the industry that helped us build more products that could go back into that SaaS pipeline. So from a SaaS B2B enterprise play, we'll continue, we continue to have that, but the, but the platform is slowly going to kick in at some point in the future. So when you're doing this, I think there is a lot of, uh, and we see that with a lot of SaaS companies and especially platforms, et cetera, uh, the fight between the CEO and the CTO. <laughs> Your smile says that I touched a touched an interesting nerve. I, I that's all. Now now it's up to you. <laughs> no, I wouldn't call it a fight. I would call it um, tug of war. Not even not even that. Um, and you know, <laughs> I I don't. So Anand and I and, and I'll tell you this right. We have and it's it's again it's one of those things where it's a. We used to watch, I still remember, Daily Show. We used to watch John Stewart at around one o'clock. My daughter had the most horrendous sleep cycles uh, for the first three years of her life. And, and we, have, we were awake. We were awake at one o'clock and two o'clock and three o'clock. And what do you do? And this was in the valley, right? And so we used to sit up, you know, watch these shows on TV and just debate about this stuff long into the night, right? This is how it should be. This is long before even the company started. And when we started the company, you know, initially we were like, okay, what's your job? What's my job? How are we going to go about doing this? All of that happened. And very soon, and since we'd already had this history, very soon it became clear, right? Where his strengths were, where my strengths were, where his weaknesses were, where my weaknesses or blind spots were. And I think it's been, it was very, I can tell you that, you know, over the years, we do it a little lesser and lesser now than we did, you know, at the beginning. I think it's also probably a sign of the fact that we are getting older. But I remember in the initial stages of the company, the two of us would just like argue, like at work for like easily two hours, right? And people would be like, what is going on? And it's just like a group of 10 of us back then and a very close knit, right? And at the end of it, we'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then the two of us would be like, you know, just best friends at the end of it and continue to move on. People would be like, how do you get out of an argument like that and then go back home and not kill each other, right? And I think that is probably one thing we figured out very, very early in our, in our lives, right? Um, that we represent very different schools of thoughts and both of us, both of us are A-type personality, 100% A-type personality. Um, and both of us love to push each other, love to, but then it's also important to understand at the end of the day, to have enough perspective to go, okay, where is this conversation going? Are we getting anything out of it? And if yes, what is the takeaway out of this conversation? How are we going to implement it? And we actually keep a tab on each other's progress, right? Uh, routinely, every week, we talk about each other's progress. Every month, we talk about each other's progress. Uh, we review each other's one-on-ones. We review each other's meetings. And, and it's literally like you've got to get to that point where CTO, CEO, at the end of the day, everybody's going towards the, towards the same thing. And you come with very different languages. You come with the very different vocabularies, very different skill sets, very different... Uh, motivations and backgrounds, but if you understand how that can come together to actually get you towards your North Star, and this more than anything else, I would argue is the training I got at Intel. By bringing all those extremely disparate, varied personalities together, I think I learned my lessons on how to work with, you know, like a silicon architect and, a, you know, a computer vision and image uh, a processing, uh, you know, engineer and, uh, and an anthropologist. And 
I got to see that firsthand and, and for like a good 10 years and, and experience that. And I would argue that most of my lessons here, I apply them from that life, right? That people can actually, people with, and we have made such a conscious effort to bring, bring people from extremely diverse backgrounds, extremely diverse backgrounds, right? And these are, you will not find your stereotypes in MSD. You will absolutely not find your stereotypes in MSD. I hire people, 20, easily 15% of the company was hired on Twitter. Uh, another 15, 20% was hired on LinkedIn. And when I say LinkedIn, they, these are not people who responded to job posts. These are people who I stalked, right? On the internet, like found out about them, studied about them and then brought them in, right? And I think it does a lot of good when you bring in people who are, especially for this type of a company, right? I'm sure if you talk to Girish or, or a lot of those, uh, you know, your, your more SaaS companies that are heavy on the SaaS CRM side, not on the deep tech side, there you need more homogeneity, right? And so his whole philosophy was send a bus and hire everybody from Shastra, right? Like that was his, his philosophy and it worked beautifully. I mean, there's so many lessons to learn from there. But I'd say for us, it was the exact opposite in the sense that it was all about diversity of thought. People who would pull and push at each other, people who would be comfortable with, uh, with, with ambiguousness, right? And, and then work yourself towards clarity of thought, right? And, and, and I'd say, yeah. So CTO, CEO, I don't know, you figured it out. <laughs> so Ashwini, let me, uh, we're nearing the end, but I want to ask you one question. See, in, for India in its sort of race, uh, we talked about this in the beginning, you know, in, in this AI race, uh, we are quite behind. I mean, there's no sort of focus at the top level or understanding, and this is a new world which is getting created. I mean, if tomorrow the government appointed sort of the AI the, you, the minister of AI for India, what should you, what do you think the country, what we should do as a country? That is a minefield I do not want to walk into uh, <laughs> because I am somebody who has, uh, you know, ridiculously strong opinions about uh, the role of um, countries and stuff uh, and government. And more, if you look at it more from how do we start building yeah. Yeah. More AI natives in the countries. For example, schools, uh, uh, you know, you get people to start thinking about AI at an early age. We are not doing any of this. China has begun something like this. Yeah. So what, so what are ideas like this which can help? Yeah. You know, so the next generation we create, you know, the next 10, 15 years. It's yeah. Yeah, I would say one, of course, you obviously have the answer there, Radish. I, I'm a big proponent of uh, changing it at the level of schooling. Um, you know, my uh, daughter started, my daughter did scratch at seven uh, and then she moved on to um, a handful of other things that Anand was making her explore around uh, eight, nine. And now she's working on Java, uh, JavaScript related stuff, right? She's 10. It's possible. It's doable. You don't have to, this is just part of a basic literacy. The question I would ask every, and for me, I'll tell you this, right? Whether you are Sure, you can try and do it in schools. How many people in schools are equipped to do this? How many teachers know how, what this is? Like, I, I mean, so this is why to me, the, the concept behind what you said, I'm spot on. You have to start now with your 10 year olds. If you want to make this country get there, right? That is where you need to be starting. You need to be starting with the 10 year olds right now, right? And exposing them to the right kind of, and, and it's not your traditional, oh, get your 100 marks, get your, you know, again, we are, the exact opposite proponents of that Anand and I at home. 
um, you know, we'd rather my daughter spend, you know, hours on the computer building, a, building some kind of a computer game than and bunker class or go and, you know, uh, gardening. Like, you know, I insist my children learn how to garden. I insist my children learn how to cook. And those are all, I think, brilliant lessons. The lessons that, so answer coming back though is, I think, I'm not sure our schools are equipped to do this right now. So even if we came up and said, let's have our schools do it, there is no way. Where are these people who are going to teach this stuff? Right? So there is that, right? And so, the, so I would push it a little farther and say, I think we have to go and look in the industry for these people. That is where we're going to have to go look. We have to go look in the industry and we have to ask ourselves, how do we make people in the industry kind of build these communities? How do we incentivize them to do that? Right? We have now uh, started hiring people from high school. For internships at MSD, right? And Anand and I talk about this all the time, right? Like, how do we start bringing people, kids from schools, into the company to 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 kind of do quick interns, to internships, to do summer internships, right? So I don't know that this is going to happen through our existing educational system. I think what we and think of it this way: nobody has context on where AI is headed. If you want to learn about AI, you have to learn about it in context of the domain, right? Which means you have to work in the company where something is going on to learn something about this, right? So I still think that the best place for any kind of AI growth in India is the companies. We need to be looking at the companies and industry is where this is happening. And we need to look to figure out key people that can come out, put money behind it. How many committees are we going to have? And I've sat, I myself have sat on enough committees. I've seen more committees. Nothing happens in these committees, nothing. Nothing happens in these committees. The question is what can people, and I think some of it has to come from us as well, right? As parents, as people who run companies, as people who participate. I'm, you know, we are talking, we're talking to a couple of schools um, to think about, you know, what could summer and winter internship programs, high schools look like with, with our company. We've been having these conversations. And I can tell you today that easily 50, 60 people in my company can turn into teachers, 100% right now and they're all 23 24 year olds 25 year olds they've been in the company for three years they're ready they're ready to teach high schoolers right of course we'll have to find the time and the effort and all of that jazz but my point is there are people there are absolutely people there in every city who know where to start and where to go and we should be doing that now so that's that's one right the second thing i think is you know i i i work with a lot of governments and without naming names, I, I work with a lot of people from different types of governments, right? Um, a, a government recently from Asia uh, came to us and said, uh, you know, they are helping uh, um, bring together all kinds of uh, uh, people in a particular industry, right? And they're hooking them up with certain kinds of data companies. They're hooking them up with certain kinds of AI companies. And they're basically in aiding this digital transformation, right? And of course, you could argue, you know, we've got our Aadhaar, we've got our, uh, what is that, um, the Arogya Setu and stuff like that. And I know all of these are in the middle of massive uh, storms out there. So I will not comment on them at all. But my point is, we've, we've made a lot of progress in some ways uh, um, in the fintech space, I'd argue, as a country. The problem with AI is, one, we don't have the right people. Full stop. We don't have people. We don't have people that are, that are, that know enough to make change, right? So, and so we need to go out there and bring the big hitters, right? We are easily about 20, 20 years, 25 years behind China. Easily, easily, easily. Like that is lightly putting it, okay? Uh, because, uh, and, and I'm not even going to compare ourselves with the Valley, right? I'm not even going close, right? We are so far behind and I think we're not investing in the people that are going to come in and make that change. And it's not one person. It is not two people. It is systemic change. We are going to have to go out there and bring people 
who are going to make this happen in a systemic way and be held accountable to that change, right? And and it requires, think of it also as a startup. This is also a startup, right? Changing your country is, could also be a startup. So maybe we should just simply brand it a startup and then maybe it'll work. I don't know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a... I, when we started this conversation, uh, I knew we would be speaking AI, but I, <laughs> I had no idea we would, we would <laughs> use this angle to it. And I think it's 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 extremely interesting what you're saying, um, Ashwini. And I think there's a lot of learnings that I can I can take. Um, but I think um, in all of this, I think it's very easy to miss in this in this passion of AI. I think what my key takeaway from here is that. It's fine. You'll figure out a way to use it. There'll be enough tools that will be that will allow you to use it. There will be disruption in the job market, in the skill market, etc. But my big key takeaway, and this has happened with some of the other hippo brains that we've had with Anindya, with uh, some of the others, and you have to have domain. At some point of time, if I have to compete in the future, my moat is my domain. And AI can enhance it, I can use it. But that is my big key takeaway that I'm going to keep in my head. From the best AI exponent that I have taken away is that domain AI will figure out a way and you should have to figure out a way to work AI into your life. Rajesh? I think absolutely right, uh, Jamit. And I think the other point which I think Ashwini uh, has said very nicely is about how she built her company. I think um, a lot of deep thought went over many years. So that's one side. It's about eight, 10 years of thinking between Ashwini and Anand. And look at the longevity of thought that she's brought into play. It's not a business which is for three years, five years and flip it. It's a business 15, 20, 30 year horizon is how Ashwini and Anand are looking at it. And I think that's something which is very rare to find. I mean, that lets you make the decisions today where you're laying the foundation for a, for a, for a fascinating future and for a long-term future. It's, it's, I think, a rarity to find such clarity of thought. You know, you, it, it, Ashwini may not have the map, but she's got the compass. She knows the direction where she's headed. And I think uh, uh, that's, that's, that's my big takeaway. Ashwini, closing thoughts? Kind words, big words, Ravish. <laughs> very big words. Um, you know, uh, Anand and I are very, um, very chill people. We laugh a lot. Um, we try to not take ourselves too seriously. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I don't think that we've figured it out at all. <laughs> we are probably uh, just scratching the surface of where we want to go. And... Uh, we are hoping that we'll be able to see significant process in our lifetime, progress in our lifetime, uh, both for ourselves as well as our children. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm very, very passionate about uh, this whole idea of making the world filled with people who are AI natives, right? And I think uh, we're doing a lot of things in our own very small, tiny way. But uh, like you pointed out, uh, there's so much that can be done by so many people. Right. So I don't know, my closing words are maybe a call to everybody that's watching this um, to say, hey, I don't know, find a way to contribute to that, find a way to make a difference. Um, yeah. 
this is the perfect architect of, of a hippo brain conversation. When over these episodes that we've shot and spoken to so many people, the hippo brain, I'm, we, we, we've set off Rajesh and me trying to understand what makes a hippo brain a hippo brain. And today, my working hypothesis is that this hippo brain takes three, four elements of an average brain, which actually are at odds with each other and so perfectly reconcile in the head. And, and it's such a natural thing. And this is this was one perfect example of that. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, uh, viewers. Uh, you can subscribe on Hippo Brain on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And you can go to hippobrain.com. Be tuned for more such episodes. Thank you, Ashwini. Thank you all. And have a great Hippo Brain conversation and listen to more of these. Thank you. Thank you.